Yo, it's Tim Malcolm, the editorial director of philliesnation.com and the host of Playing the Rube. Welcome to Playing the Rube. It's the podcast in which myself and Dan Walsh take on the general managership of the 2009 Philadelphia Phillies. Our job is to do a better job at the job than Ruben Amaro Jr. was at the job in 2009. So far, it's not going well, as we have said over and over again. Right now, the Phillies are 28-53. and 53. That's pretty terrible, obviously, and it's nowhere near where the 2009 Phillies were in real life. But I'm telling you right now, things are getting better. And I will say that again at the end of the podcast. Don't worry about it. We have a big show coming up where Dan and I basically talk about the long-term future of this team. And the short-term, but mostly long-term. It's a big planning episode. There'll be some games interspersed, but for the most part, we're talking about big strategy. So if you are a fan of strategy and tactics, this isn't really the show for you. You're just going to be interested if you like baseball, okay? That's what the show's about. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts. Give it a five-star review. Please do so. It's under the Phillies Nation podcast. You can also find philliesnation.com, where you can get all of your Phillies news information, rumors, opinion, and much more. Facebook.com slash philliesnation. Instagram at philliesnation underscore. Twitter at philliesnation. But again, this podcast is at Apple Podcasts. Five-star review under the Phillies Nation podcast. With that, let's start. Brad Lidge stretches. The 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008. It's time to enter an alternate history where two men attempt to become the best general managers they can be of the 2009 Philadelphia Phillies. But what happens instead is absolutely hysterical. This is Playing the Rube. July 6, 2009. The Phillies are 28 and 53. Imagine, if you will, a spare conference room on the ground floor of a large urban hotel. Inside that conference room are two men. A large table, some chairs off to the side that are stacked up from a party the night before. There's a small table off to the side as well. A Keurig machine, maybe some cans of Diet Coke, and a cooler of natural light. Why? Because one of the guys really wanted to have a couple beers while he was doing this work. This is Tim Malcolm and Dan Walsh, the general manager and assistant general manager of the 2009 Phillies, convening in their first ever natty meeting. As the Phillies play the Cincinnati Reds, Tim and Dan decide to retreat in a hotel room in Philadelphia and compose a meeting that looks at the future of the ball club, both in the short term and the long term. This will be the first time, which they will try every year as long as they have jobs, to compose an idea, a blueprint, for what their plan will be going ahead with the Philadelphia Phillies begin scene. All right. Good morning, Dan. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, I, I think I'm going to hang in there. I had about 12 peanut butter cups so far this morning, so I'm ready for the day. Okay. Uh, if that's how you like to get ready for the day, then you do you. That's that, good. Breakfast um, of champions. I, that's what they call it. Well, there are Danishes on the table, um, and I have some coffee here already, so I'm good. We are at the lovely courtyard by Marriott in uh, the Philadelphia airport area. The Phillies are right now, we're at home, we're playing the Reds over the next couple of days, but obviously we talked about having this meeting um, after the last few weeks where we've been excited about things, but we, I don't think we have direction as to exactly what we're excited about. We, we, we kind of know what we're excited about, but we're not fully, I think, in line. We, we don't have a full sort of uh, syllabus, I guess, of like, oh, this is what we're doing. Um, I've decided that we should have a meeting over the next couple of days and, and just kind of lock ourselves in a room here in this beautiful courtyard by Marriott and um, get down to business. So I'm calling this the Natty Meeting because we're playing Cincinnati this week. 
And in honor of the Natty meeting, um, as you see, we have nine points in our agenda coming up. And the ninth point is pep rally. And that is, uh, I have, uh, in honor of this Natty meeting, purchased a cooler of natural light beer that is going to sit there at the cooler uh, for the next couple of days. And when we are done, we will break open a few cans of natural light beer, or as the kids call it, Natty Light. How's that sound? Well, the Natty Light can be your problem, but I'm on board for the rest. See, you're a party animal. Is what <laughs> That's me. Yes, I don't drink, but I do eat a lot of peanut butter cups. This is going to be a really terrible, like by, by the beginning of day two, you're going to be like hanging on the wall, talking in tongues, and I'm going to be cursing at the television because I've decided to just watch the game. So that's, I mean, that's kind of how it usually goes, I think. Yeah, you're right. You're actually right. I, I, that's why I did install that bar on the wall of your uh, office. <laughs> okay, so we have three goals that I have uh, written for this meeting, um, and uh, they are identify short-term weaknesses and options for remedy. Uh, so this comes on because our owner has decided to tell us that he does want to compete this year, despite the fact that we are 28-53 and 53 and 17 and a half games out of first place in the National League Eastern Division. Uh, so we have to figure out a way to have a competitive team, whatever that means. Uh, probably not a playoff team, but a team that can at least make a run in the second half, maybe get the fans excited. I, I, you know, Losing money is not a thing that the owner wants to do right now, so I think that makes sense on some level, but patience needs to be had here. But we're going to try to fill up the short-term expectations a little bit. Um, second goal is to identify long-term weaknesses and create optionality. So obviously we want to be able to have a team that next year can compete. And then the year after that can even compete more. Um, we want to be able to have a window that's open for many, many years. And so having optionality as well, meaning that we don't just lock ourselves into one person at one position and we ensure that we have options to you know, make any kind of play we can play also with the budget also with, uh, you know, draft situations, also with what we have in our trade coffers, whatever. We want to have optionality. And the third goal is to formulate a plan for both, ter for both terms excuse me, that exist in reality. What that means is we just want to be able to have a strategy laid out in front of us for short-term and long-term that makes sense together, that, that run in concert, and that are realistic. We want to be able to not, like, trade the farm for, you know, Alex Rodriguez or, or you know, uh, who – Jake Peavy or something. We want to be able to have realistic goals and realistic situations here to play off of. So that is the agenda. That's, those are the goals for the meeting. The agenda for the meeting, and I won't go over all the points right now, but the first agenda point is to assess the current state of the organization, what are the overall strengths and weaknesses, and assess our performance over the first four months. Before we get there, Dan, how do you feel about the goals that I've laid out? I think they're good. I, I think that we're in a team that is in a position where we have to be thinking about the short term and the long term because we have such a strong core and a lot of these players will be here for several years. But of course, you want to give yourself as many chances to win as possible. So we do have to think about both of those things at the same time. Yeah. OK, great. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you totally on that. And that's why I made the goals up. So I'm not going to not going to go on longer about that. OK, agenda one. Assess current state of organization, what are the overall strengths, weaknesses, assess performance over the first four months. And I guess um, I'll lead off really quick here. You know, I think we've, we've run into some bad luck. Uh, I think some of the players that we inherited did, just did not have the kind of seasons that we expected them to have, that, are, that the scouting report said that they would have. Um, at the same time, we got injury problems right off the bat with Jamie Moyer being lost for the whole season in spring training. Uh, we lost some pitching before the season started that kind of hurt us for the first couple of weeks. And, um, you know, offensively, Shane Victorino was out early on, and that hampered us a little bit there. But um, as well with that, we don't have depth, and that's something that we inherited as well. We just inherited a big lack of depth. So that's obviously the biggest weakness, I think, on this team is no depth whatsoever and relying on only a choice few players to actually play well, and that has not worked out for us. Um, strengths, we have a core, and it's a good core, and these are guys that still are in peak performance for the next couple of years, most likely. We also do have a couple assets uh, in our farm that we have built up over the past couple months, and I think that leads to the performance of us. I think we've done okay. I think we could have been a little bit more proactive early on to understand that we have depth problems. I think my strategy was to sit back and see what was going on because we did have what seemingly was a good team 
that didn't happen. Uh, so now we have to kind of make up for that. I think we made some nice moves in the interim ever since, you know, sort of this team was 20 games under 500 in mid-May. We made some good moves, but we still obviously have a ways to go. And obviously, as I said, we have to come up with a strategy that really makes sense for both the short and long term. So um, what, what are your thoughts about all of that stuff, strengths, weaknesses, and how we're doing? I think you're right. It's really telling to me that this is the season where, we added, I would say, I don't have an account in my head, but I'd say at least five legit quality prospects we've, that we've added this season alone. When you think of all the pitching that we added, you know, when you think of mm-hmm. Brian Dozier, and it still doesn't feel like we've actually improved a lot, uh, at least today, right? And so, um, and, and we haven't increased that depth that you're talking about. We've started to, but to add that many quality prospects and still need depth shows how barren the system was when we first started. So you're right, that that is definitely a need and a weakness in our system is that amount of depth. You know, one thing that I think we could point to that excites me a little bit is I will tell you about a month and a half ago, for sure, our minor league teams were looking really bad. Uh, Lehigh Valley was quite under 500. I think there were maybe 10 to 15 games under 500. Reading was really poor. Clearwater was sort of middling. Uh, Lakewood was sort of middling. So now Lehigh Valley's 41 and 43. They're almost at 500. This is a team that was made up primarily of quadruple A and triple A, you know, uh, 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 ephemera kind of players who were just there. And we have upgraded that team considerably, especially in the pitching with all the moves that we made. And they're now competitive. Reading is still really bad, 29 and 45. But we didn't really make many changes to them up until the last week where we moved uh, Michael Taylor. Excuse me, Dominic Brown was moved up to Reading. Michael Taylor just got promoted to Lehigh Valley. Um, and of course, Brian Dozier was moved into Reading when we got him, and but then he got hurt, so that obviously hit us uh, a little hard. So Reading is still struggling a little bit. Clearwater is forty-five and thirty, and in first place. That I don't know if that's us necessarily because we didn't really make any changes on that level. But I think some of the players that you know we 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 weren't really expecting to play well have played well. So I feel a lot better about the depth down there. Lakewood, six games under 500. That's not too bad. The GCL team is 11-1. and one. It's early on, but the draft picks from last year seem to be good draft picks, so that's good. And Williamsport is 6-6. Six and six. So I like the fact that our farm system is producing now, whereas about a month and a half ago, they were absolutely in the, the, the trash heap of uh, minor league baseball. Yeah, so at least we're having... It sounds like we're doing better lower down in the minors, and... Lehigh Valley is improving, but we still don't have a lot of guys who we could really pull up or guys who seem like they would be, you know, when rosters expand, like the fans would be looking forward to seeing their debut or anything like that. Lehigh Valley doesn't really have that right now. And Reading is still really just treading water. So maybe the goal or one of the goals, and we'll talk about this more uh, at some point, um, but I'm looking at improving our high minors teams as well and not, you know, not just all the teams should get a little better, but the high minors teams will need because as guys get hurt in the majors or in the next coming years, if we need to trade a guy, if we lose a guy to free agency or something like that, that's where we'll be pulling from. So we need to start thinking about those guys before we need them. Yeah, I mean, Lehigh Valley, just to kind of put a bow on it, they do have a few players now that are exciting. Uh, Carlos Carrasco has been there all year, and he has a 3 ERA, could be a little better, and there are other stats we can roll out right now, but that's someone that we're obviously excited to see, and maybe this year we'll see him. David Price, he did have a moment in Philly, but he's now in Lehigh Valley, and he's pitching decently there. So that's someone that obviously we're waiting on. And Rudy Owens, who we picked up uh, as well um, in the Pedro Alvarez move. We, we got him with Pedro Alvarez. Owens is doing well, 3-8-2 ERA, 66 innings in Lehigh Valley. So that's good. Uh, and now, of course, as I said, Michael Taylor is in Lehigh Valley. But I think you're right that really beside Michael Taylor – and, I mean, you know, Jason Donald and Lou Marson maybe have some ability, but their uh, scouting reports don't really give them, you know, high ratings. Um, besides Taylor, we really don't have anything to look forward to. So it's, it's, that's definitely something we need to build up, you know, have more major league quality playing uh, in the Lehigh Valley offense, I should say. Um, so, yeah, I think that's definitely all true. You know, the high minors are one real place where we can upgrade and we should be able to upgrade and sort of easier than we can upgrade with the major league team. Um, so agenda point number two, then assess current state of league. Who is the strongest? Who is the weakest? And what is being valued and what is winning? So 
I went through sort of how it's going in the major leagues right now and just to take a look at what players and what teams are doing well and if we're missing something there. Um, so the Dodgers right now are well ahead of everybody in the National League and the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, the team that we played in the World Series last year, is the best team in the American League. And there are a few interesting things that I spotted with them. Um, there aren't too many differences between us and those teams, but the differences that are there I think are pretty stark. Um, and the other thing I wanted to look at was what types of players, you know, the players who were really good this year in wins above replacement, looked at what players were good and what players weren't good and what were the traits of those players and what the scouting reports were saying for those players. And there wasn't a lot that was very different about some of these players, but um, I think one or two things. So um, I guess first thing, let me ask you, you know, are there is there anything that you are interested in as far as, you know, the overall sense of what's going on in the league and who's good and, you know, as it sort of pertains to us, what you're looking for and what you're hoping information we get out of this? Well, first, I'd like to know which side of the ball the most, you know, the, the better performing teams are good at. You know, obviously, the, the best teams will have good hitting and good pitching and good defense and good base running, you know. But um, are there certain things that they are emphasizing more than others? Like, we spent a lot of effort trying to upgrade our pitching this year, not because we're obsessed with pitching, but because we were so desperate for it. So I'm wondering. You know, um, is that something that other teams are also looking at doing, uh, building around pitching? Or are they looking at building around home runs? Are they looking at building around, you know, good defense, contact hitting, that kind of stuff? So really, it's just, you know, the source of things that, that you were already talking about. I'm interested in to know what your specific results were. Well, let me, before we go into that stuff. So our team is dead last in the National League in every pitching category that matters. Uh, starter ERA, bullpen ERA, runs against all 16th place. I mean, those aren't the ones that really matter, but those are the ones that I can see in front of me right now. Um, and then offensively, we are toward the last uh, place, uh, toward the toward the toward last place in most offensive categories. The only one where we're more in the middle of the pack is home runs. Um, so we are obviously a more powerful team, but none of that is really helping us at all because everything else is so poor. So. The Dodgers, who are 56-25 and 25 and way out in front of the National League West and really the National League. So their team is good in everything, but pitching is probably their biggest strength. They're first in the NL and runs against first in starter ERA, which is 284, which is unbelievable. And they're third in bullpen ERA, 376. They're also a really good hitting team. Second in runs scored, second in batting average, second in on-base percentage. But they're tied for 10th in home runs. So it seems to me that they are obviously building with pitching. But on the offensive side, it seems to me they're more building for an average. They want to have more contact on their roster. And what I saw when I looked at the Dodger offense was that they have a lot of high-contact players, guys who have uh, scouting report contact ratings of at least 55 or 60 or over. And they also have a core of guys who are in the 70s and 60s. But just beyond that, they have four players who are between 35 and 40 overall on offense. And so when you look at us, we only have we have, we have seven players with uh no excuse me uh we have da, 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 da. okay we have four players who have a rating of 65 or better but then there is a gap that takes place and then we have a bunch of players who are in the 40s so the Dodgers have a core of guys who are in the 70s then they have a couple guys who are sort of in the 50s then they have some guys in the 40s and then they have maybe one or two guys in the 20s whereas we have four guys in the 70s then we have a bunch of guys in the 40s, and then we have a bunch of guys in the 20s. So we're, we're missing that sort of second tier or even third tier of role players that you really need to succeed offensively for a full 162-game season. Yeah, we need more balance, especially because the guys that are 70s, it's like one of them, for example, is Ryan Howard. And so he's someone – he strikes out a lot. So if a guy does get on base and he strikes out, he really – changes their run expectancy, or if he does go yard, if there's nobody on base in front of him, it doesn't really matter as much. So I could see the need for some balance and some consistency throughout the entire lineup, definitely. The pitching staffs, 
there wasn't really a lot that separated us from them. Um, and the one thing, though, that was different was, and this is I think, well, obviously the big thing here, is they have guys at the top of the rotation who are studs. So the Dodgers have three starters who have a 75 or over in Clayton Kershaw, Chad Billingsley, and Hiroki Kuroda. Um, then they have a bunch of guys in the 40s and 50s. They only have one pitcher at 20, and that's uh, relief. Well, actually, another starting pitcher, Nario Rodriguez, but he looks like he's the sixth man in the road. He's, he's the long man. We have three guys with 65 or over in Hamels, Crane, and Chano Park. Then we have a bunch of guys between 45 and 55, but then we have five guys between 20, excuse me, four guys between 20 and 30 in Romero, uh, Jeff Soup, Eric Stoltz, and Eric Hurley. So we're, we're really scrounging. We're, we're, we're trying to find people in the scrap heap, and because of that, we're not having good success. We have guys who have 20s and 30s in their overall ratings, and that hurts us, obviously. Yeah, so we have to be more good. No, um, we knew that pitching that, that <laughs> pitching depth was a problem. We, I don't think that we can fix that this year. I mean, we can start to, um, but fortunately, we have a lot of good pitching in the pipeline right now. Uh, you know, we do have Scott Casimir, who is hurt, um, but who should be quite good. Uh, Jeremy Hellickson we have kicking around still, and he could be pretty good. Uh, and then obviously David Price we see as a possible um, at least second uh, you know second starter uh, possibly an ace if if everything breaks uh, as we hope it does we have Carlos Carrasco also with a bright future so um, our pitching will get better but an- another thing too is none of those guys are um, relievers so I don't know how we're going to fix our bullpen either. It's obvious as we run through what has happened in the past few months as general manager and assistant general manager of the Phillies that things haven't gone well. Well, clearly they haven't gone well. We're 28 and 53. But we saw when we came into the job that there were a lot of things that needed fixing. We wanted to wait, and then as the season continued, clearly things didn't work. Well, we're working on them. Now we have to look forward. What are the things that we have to do to get this team back to where it should be? Where 2010, at least, we can be a team back in playoff contention. That is the ultimate goal and a really tough obstacle for us. Okay, so I guess, you know, before we finish off today, um, I wanted to just talk about the long-term needs of uh, of this franchise and and. Um, actually, let's talk about the short-term needs because that's the next thing on the agenda. Um, I wanted us to both identify the most urgent needs at the major league level, five of them each. And this is pretty interesting how we uh, went about this. So uh, the five needs that I think we should address on the short term are a second starting pitcher. And when I mean second starting pitcher, I mean a number two, someone who can line up behind Cole Hamels and give the Phillies you know, at least six innings a night of pretty good baseball and not walk too many guys. Uh, a second outfielder. So right now, Jason Worth is the one outfielder that I really trust in this team. We need someone who's going to be nearly as good as Jason Worth right now in the outfield. An outfielder number three. So Raul Abanez should be better, and he's been terrible this year. He's one of the worst, if not the worst, offensive players with qualified plate appearances this year in Major League Baseball. We need to have a better outfielder uh, because Raul Abanez is sucking the air out of the, the ballpark. And right now, Johnny Gomes is not necessarily doing what we hope he could do. You know, there's still some hope for him, I guess, but he's also uh, at the end of his contract this year, so that might be something that we're going to have to look at too. So a third outfielder is another need for us. Starting pitcher three. So, again, we don't have a lot of depth in the pitching ranks. Hellickson's been okay at times. He's also struggled a lot. He's walked too many guys. Brett Myers has been terrible. Um, uh, who else is in this rotation right now? Uh, Eric Stoltz, for some reason, is in the rotation right now. You know, we, Jay Happ has been, you know, off and on. So we do need to have more stability and a guy who can go maybe six innings and give us relatively good innings and not walk too, too many guys again is someone we can use there. And finally... 
a fourth infielder. So right now our fourth infielder is Pedro Alvarez, third baseman. He's young. He's struggling. He's having a hard time. That's okay. I understand it. But we do need to have a better, more productive, current veteran player to be in the infield, preferably at third base, to play off of Alvarez um, and maybe get some, maybe spell some time for someone like Ryan Howard or something like that, so maybe like a corner guy. So those are my five. Uh, if you want to talk about yours, Dan, please go ahead. Sure. You and I, we, we overlap in a lot of places, so I'm going to try not to repeat you. Uh, one, one, we'll go, we'll go ahead and repeat. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, one major difference though, is that the thing that I ranked first was leadership, chemistry and morale. So I honestly believe that this, and, and you'll agree with this part at least is that the players that we have are much better than they've been playing so far. And so I'm wondering, you know, if perhaps one of the things that we could do to improve performance is to also improve morale. So perhaps as we're looking for these players that we want to add, um, trying to find players who have exhibited a lot of leadership before, who have uh, better personalities, and seeing if that attitude can rub off on these other players to get them performing to the level that they should be performing at. Because I still am a Raul Abanez believer, for example. Um, I think that he should be a pretty good player. He should be a solid contributor, batting you know fifth or sixth or maybe seventh, the lowest somewhere in the lineup, putting the ball out you know, some of the time, uh, knocking runs in, you know, all the things that he has to do. And so then if you get him performing at that level, if you get everyone else performing where they should be, then, um, you know, you don't have to make a ton of personnel changes, but then you're getting better performance. So that's something that I think that we should be paying more attention to in the future is how players uh, interact with one another. I also have, number two, uh, an outfielder of some kind. So uh, a guy who can give us an offensive boost because we really should be scoring more runs than we are already. Even with this team, we should be scoring more runs than we have been. Um, third, I have a high-end starter or at least a, a, a like a, a mid-rotation starter, but like a plus mid-rotation starter, you know, a solid number two guy, maybe a guy who's too good to be a number three guy, you know, but could be called that. Because um, we do need more pitching. We need pitching now and not just the guys that we can wait on in, in the next year or two. Um, I do have the bullpen in my top five, not because I think that it is a bigger problem, but because I think it is a problem that we can fix sooner than some of the others. So if we're talking about urgency, you know, that can mean a few things. It can mean the most important problems or it can mean the ones that you can fix sooner. And I think that the bullpen, we add another arm or two, suddenly we have a pretty okay bullpen. And then fifth, I have a, a short-term mid-rotation starter. So I'm wondering if we can try to find a guy who, you know, maybe he's only under contract for this year and next year. But in the meantime, he can eat up some innings. Uh, his scouting report has him about average, about a 50 starter. Um, and, and he can at least keep us in some games and try to keep us from abusing our bullpen every single night. Yeah, I think most of that is pretty much what I'm thinking. And I like that you took a more abstract, I guess. I don't know if that's the word, but but you took a different uh, path into identifying these needs as I did, which was more sort of positional by the book. So it kind of shows that we do have this sort of layered approach that we're trying to figure out here. Um, the, the leadership thing is interesting because I was, I, I saw that you had, had put this down and I, I started looking at, you know, where our team's going wrong here. And we have a captain in Chase Utley who has a high leadership ability, high loyalty, high work ethic. He's amazing as far as his chemistry, his personality is all that stuff. Um, we have a prankster in Chris Coast, who is, again, a high leader. He is uh, normal across the board otherwise, but he's a prankster, and that's good to have. And then Jimmy Rollins has a high leadership ability as well, uh, high work ethic, and he's a fan favorite. So we have three things on our team that work in that respect. Uh, in the pitching staff, we also have a spark plug in Eric Hurley, uh, who's got a high work ethic and a high intelligence, which is great. Um, and we have a prankster in the pitch. Oh, I'm sorry, that's Chris Coast again. He apparently is also rated as a pitcher, which is really funny. Um, so I looked at the other teams in the majors to see, okay, what's their formula for success here? And funny enough, the Dodgers don't have a leader or captain. Like they have one guy with leadership ability and that's Blake DeWitt, but he's just a normal personality. He's not a captain on this team. Um, they have a fan favorite in Manny Ramirez and they have a spark plug in Juan Pierre. Otherwise they have two guys who are selfish in AJ Ellis and Russell Martin 
and uh, A.J. Ellis is just luckily playing, I think, well for them, and Russell Martin is having a pretty down year. But, you know, that's interesting that they don't have a leader on this team, that everybody is kind of, you know, sort of in the middle ground. And the same thing goes with the pitching. The Dodgers have only one guy who's selfish in their rotation, and that's Chad Billingsley, but he's having a good season, so what do you know? Um, And then Tampa, who was the other really good team this year, their pitching staff, they have... Uh, an unmotivated person in Andy Sonnenstein, but they have a prankster, they have a selfish person, they have an outspoken person. The outspoken people are typically leaders, but they're also like, you know, sort of angry leaders who get mad at people all the time. Um, but they have an unmotivated person, which is kind of interesting. So that that's that's sort of an interesting piece there. And then their lineup, they don't have a leader on that team either. They have uh, Carlos Pena has leader abilities, but he doesn't show to be a leader on that team. They have Willie Ibar is humble. They have uh, an outspoken person in Victorino, and they have, a, they have another humble person in Reed Brignac, and a selfish person in Jermaine Dye. So it's just across the board, there's no formula for success on these teams. Sometimes these teams actually don't have success. So then I looked at the team that's really bad with us, and that's the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are 28 and 55. And they have two unmotivated people on their uh, roster right now, in their, in their lineup, I should say, in Adam LaRoche and Nate McClough who both play every day for that team, whereas on the Rays and the Dodgers, anybody who's unmotivated has a pretty low uh, profile on that team. But these guys on the Pirates, they play every single day, and they're unmotivated. Meanwhile, um, they do have a spark plug. They do have a prankster. uh, They have a humble person, but they don't have a leader on that team. So it's just interesting to find that, you know, there seems to be no great formula for success here, but the one thing that jumps out at me is unmotivated players when they're in positions where they need to perform at an everyday level, that might really hurt your team. And so I looked at our team, and what do you know, we do have somebody who is unmotivated. We actually have two people. One is Eric Bruntlett, who has barely played this year. The other is Ryan Howard, who is a low leadership ability, low loyal, uh, excuse me, normal loyalty, High greed, low work ethic, and low intelligence. <laughs> Poor Ryan. Um, well, so as far as chemistry goes, too, it, it is hard to get that cocktail just right. And I'm also wondering, too, if it's something that becomes more problematic for a losing team than it is beneficial for a winning team. In other words, it's really easy for everybody to get along when you're 50 and 25 or whatever the Dodgers are. Sure. It's a little more important sure. to have that grit, to have that chemistry, to have that leadership. When you start to lose a couple games, when guys are in cold streaks, you know, because that's when tempers flare, that's when it's hard to band together and still find a way to win. Yeah, and, you know, I think you're totally right. And I think loyalty is the thing that sort of jumps out at me. Loyalty and work ethic are the two things that really jump out at me. Um, The Dodgers have guys who aren't loyal, right? Um, A.J. Ellis, Russell Martin, the two kind of problems in their lineup. And then Jason Repko, who... I would assume does not play whatsoever on that team. Um, But our guy is a very huge fixture in this lineup. He is the cleanup hitter. He is, you know, an important part of this team. Um, Now his loyalty is normal. I keep messing that up, but the work ethic is low. And the other guy with low work ethic is Bruntlett. Whereas on the Dodgers, nobody has low work ethic on that team. Everybody's at least a normal work ethic, according to scouting reports. And Tampa, Nobody's low work ethic. So that maybe tells you something, that if a guy doesn't want to work hard and he's disloyal to the team, or maybe he's not disloyal to the team, but he still doesn't work hard, that's a big problem for the rest of the clubhouse because they see, oh, this guy doesn't care. Why should we care? What's the big deal? We're already 30 games under 500. Screw it. And that's what's going on, I think, in our clubhouse. It's definitely a possibility. And like I said, it's hard to quantify the effects of these things, but it's also hard to disagree with the fact that we have a team with some very high-caliber players who are not playing like high-caliber players. And so the question is, why not, and how do you get them to start doing that? And, you know, so it's hard to say, like, well, if we get more leaders, if we get guys with higher work ethic, that will definitely turn around right away. But it's still a possibility that that is something that we could pursue as a way to get more out of the guys that we already have. Well, the problem that I have is that I think the only way to turn around a guy like Ryan Howard is if you start winning. But how do you start winning you know, when you have this sort of clubhouse too. 
So do you bring in leaders or do you take away problems? I think there could be even a mix of both that happens here. And so what I'm trying to say is I think we need to put on the table the idea that Ryan Howard might not be untouchable on this team right now. Because if you have someone like that who is a problem, and by the way, we looked at his numbers and we looked at the, the scouting reports, he's not necessarily a top player on this roster. He's not, you know, he's a step below Utley and Rollins and even a Banez, according to scouting reports. Maybe that is the problem. Maybe there is something there that we can fix that and it's not the problem, but it's one of the things that maybe can help us. July 7, 2009. The Phillies are 28 and 54. We had a game the night before. It was Bronson Arroyo for the Reds against Brett Myers. We thought we had a chance. We didn't. So what, what did you just tell me a moment ago about Bronson Arroyo? I was just reminding you that he was a player who we almost traded for. I, I think it was in the Brad Lidge trade. We almost traded for him instead of for Jeff Soup. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. I uh, Sorry, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. But, uh, yeah, um, yeah, he beat us pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> well, he can get in line. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he pitched really well. So, so we lost 2-1. to one. Uh, and we actually had the lead for this one, but the Reds scored one in the sixth and one in the eighth, and uh, Myers pitched admirably. Uh, he gave up um, two runs in seven innings, five strikeouts, three walks, uh, but it wasn't enough. Bronson Arroyo went eight, five strikeouts, five walks, so he actually probably pitched as well as Brett. I mean, he and Brett Myers kind of pitched the same game, um, but it's just the Reds got the extra run, so that's it. So our offense feeling the pain right now against Bronson Arroyo. So that, that stinks. All right. So day two of our meeting of Natty meeting. And I think we did well yesterday, kind of identifying what the problems were and what we were hoping to do. We didn't come to terms kind of on, you know, what we need to fill yet. And, that, and that'll come next. So before we get there, we want to talk about the three pressing long-term needs that we need to fill. So um, just for me to start here, the three long-term needs outfielder um, in sort of the middle ground of our farm system. You know, basically I'm looking for, I'm looking for a little bit more impact in the middle of the system here. Um, you know, we just brought Mike, uh, Dominic Brown to Reading. Michael Taylor's in Lehigh Valley now. So there's a little bit of a hole in, you know, Clearwater, Lakewood area for some offense. And the guys that we have right now are sort of uninspiring Two years old, older than what they are, in, what they should be in Clearwater. Twenty three, twenty four years old. So it it would be nice for us to have a little bit more um, help down there. Now it's not a big. I don't think these are pressing issues necessarily, um, but I think we do need to have uh, hitters who can potentially become, you know, second level outfielders in a major league lineup. You know, guys who are role players in the future. You know, we're right now banking on Brown and Taylor, and then beyond that, there's really nothing else. So I think having, you know, a little bit more uh, uh, flash, you know, in the outfield especially is one thing that I want to see. Um, starting pitching is always a big deal, and we just need more of it. We need more of it. We need more of it. We have a couple good starting pitchers in the in the minors, but there seems to be a real gap between the upper minors and lower minors. So having a little bit more depth, again, is also a good thing. But we just need starting pitching because the guys that we have, you know, we have a couple guys who have ERAs that are pretty strong and strikeout ratings that are pretty strong, but we have a lot of guys who are just pitching terribly this year. So I, you know, and, and that's no fault of ours. It's just what we have in the system. So, and then the third thing is relief pitching. And I think this really uh, is the big deal in the upper minors, you know, having good relief pitching in Lehigh Valley and even Reading so that we can call upon guys when we need them and we can sort of have a bullpen ready for next year. I think it's a big deal because I think this year, the bullpen that we have, there's maybe one or two guys that we, I feel like, okay, maybe we'll hold on to them for next year. Otherwise, we're kind of in the dark. So uh, having a better bullpen, uh, better pitchers in, in Lehigh Valley and Reading is of importance for me. What about you? Yeah, so once again, I took a bit of a different route, which I think is a good thing, actually, because we get twice as many ideas then and we get to see where we overlap um, and where we agree and everything. Uh, mostly, though, we, we agree on a lot of things. So... What I said um, instead um, is first utility and depth pieces all around, so basically all around the diamond. Um, so we're looking at quadruple A types or um, guys who can fill in at Lehigh Valley, um, preferably guys who would be prospect types, but if not them, then absolutely uh, quadruple A types. And then second, I do have triple A talent. So again, this is anywhere on the diamond. So in addition to depth, you know, guys who could just uh, fill in until we do have talent, I would like to restock the upper levels of the farm system wherever we can. 
And, you know, part of why I'm being, I'm being less specific than you, I think, is that I am looking at acquiring those, those, those players that you're talking about, the lower level outfielders, the lower mid level starting pitching. I think that we can build this up over time through drafts and, and, and other, you know, um, maybe some international free agents and stuff like that. Um, some of our international signings from South America or anything. Um, and that we don't necessarily have to do that, um, you know, in the same way that we're talking about doing some of the other things. Uh, so something that I did say that we actually haven't really talked a lot about at all is taking the time to, and this might have to wait until the off season, taking the time to look at our finances, look at, look at if any players we think are handcuffing us more than they should be, if any players are worth an extension, um, and just general player development and player health. So this is basically the kind of clerical administrative issues that we don't really have time to address during the season. But should we be thinking about how many of our players are getting hurt versus how many of, of other teams' players are getting hurt? And is that an issue of our in-house um, you know, medical crew? And are we seeing enough growth in, our, in the few prospects that we do have or do we need to consider other ways to, you know, like other per, uh, player development staff? So basically my number three is like the kind of uh, the paperwork kind of stuff, the businessy kind of stuff that um, we haven't had a chance to address during the season, but that is very crucial still for how our team performs on the field. Yeah, I think that's all good. And certainly we do need to, you know, address the health of the franchise financially and developmentally. Um, and I think you're totally right about just the health of players. And we do, we, we've had some injuries this year. Um, we've had a lot of pitching injuries this year, which is interesting. And that might be something we have to really take a deeper look at. And I think that's probably something we could probably do a little bit later on in the year as we get toward the end of the season and we get to the place where contracts are going to be up and, you know, we're looking at sort of, you know, how we, start development for the next season and that kind of thing. I think that's probably more appropriate, but having that in our minds is good as we go forward because look, we brought in some guys too, who are, you know, injury concerns. And when you do that, you're asking for problems. So I think that's something that just in my mind, as we, you know, take a look at players and we try to narrow the field down, we need to keep in mind that we don't want players who are going to break down quickly just as much as we don't want players who are going to be, you know, problems from the clubhouse, which is another thing that we actually brought in too. So it's, it's all that stuff I think really does go hand in hand. Um, and so with the long-term and short-term goals that you just outlined and uh, with a sort of how we're trying to, you know, now identify, okay, what do we need? Um, I wanted to kind of go through what the needs are, you know, one, two, three, four, five, kind of, as we get into this trade deadline, because that's the first thing that's coming up. The trade deadline is a few weeks away. It's now July 7th. So we have, what, three weeks, basically, until the trade deadline, a little, more than, a little bit more than three weeks. So we should kind of list, you know, what the most important things are right now um, that we're trying to fill. And it doesn't have to be like an outfielder. It can be, we want leadership and a guy who does this or that kind of thing, or we want guys who are more like this, you know, whatever you think it should be. So looking at both of our lists, both short and long term, why don't we discuss that um, first? So, so what is the top in your mind? What is the top thing to fill uh, uh, as we go into the trade deadline? Yeah, so I think that with coming out of the trade deadline, we should have at least like one of a good long-term starting outfielder or a good long-term high-end starting pitcher. I think that we should prioritize getting at least one of those if we possibly can. It's hard to find teams that are willing to part with those at the trade deadline, um, but we might be able to. And you know, I know that I had leadership as my number one thing, but to me, it's, it's like that's not something that you like. It's not an acquisition. That's a philosophy, right? And so, I don't think that we should like forego a better player to to choose a, a worse one because of his leadership. I think that it's just we need to be careful about taking on you know certain personalities that maybe we weren't thinking about before when we took them on. I do want to note that 
when I say a top outfielder, a number two outfielder, and I think you know we're both on the same page that we need a, a better outfielder out there along with Jason Worth and whoever else is there, I don't necessarily think it has to be a guy who makes twelve million or sixteen million and a guy who is you know a perennial all star guy. If it's a guy who's performing above his weight level this year and is more affordable um, and has the leadership and has you know scouting reports that say this guy's going to sustain his level of solid play this year, then that might be the guy. You know, there, and there are guys like that who make three million this year, a million and a half even, um, and that's really where you know I think the skill has to come in to find the value. But I don't, you know, I, I hope you're with me on that. Maybe you're not. Maybe you think we do need a, a, a big bat who can just turn things around a little bit. But but um, I think that could be a solution for us. Yeah, I'm not saying we have to go out and acquire, you know, Manny Ramirez or anything like that. But but I do think that we should try to focus on upgrading at, you know, somewhere in our um, our active roster by the end of the of the trade deadline to have at least that that starting pitching need or that outfield need addressed. Um, but I'm totally on board. It doesn't have to be the world's best outfielder. It doesn't even have to be someone who's better than Jason Worth, but at least someone who deserves to be a starting player and would be a starter on most teams in the league. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then starting pitcher, I think, you know, I think I, I'm, I'm definitely more in the line of, we need to get an impact pitcher, uh, because it's hard to find guys who are going to slot into your number two role and not be impact pitchers. So that might be a little bit more of a hefty cost, but I think it's a need for us as we go forward. You know, if we don't fill it, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. We do have guys in the minors that, you know, I'm, I'm, we still have a lot of promise for, obviously, with Carrasco and Price. Uh, Kazmir, of course, is hurt, and he'll be back next year, hopefully. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. But I think having someone that we can rely on a lot more in the pitching step is certainly necessary. And if it's two more guys, that might be where we go, too. But, um, and I think maybe it can even be a guy who's like a two or three or and um, maybe two or, or one or two pitchers who maybe they are in triple A and they, and they have an opportunity of being in the major leagues. Uh, maybe they're journeymen or something like that. And they just give you that quality that we're looking for. And they have the, sl- the lower walk ratings, you know? Yeah, no, I think that sounds good too. And the, the thing with starting pitching too, is that we are in a position where we want to, we want to be better this year and we want to compete next year. So one of the pitchers that we get, it would be nice to have them long-term. But we, it would be okay also if the second pitcher we got was only here for another, maybe the rest of this year or next year, you know, in my opinion, because we do have other guys coming up. So we have an immediate need, and it would be nice to not have to rush them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that both pitchers need to be guys that are like still in pre-arb or anything like that. July 8, 2009. The Phillies are 28-55. and 55. We lost another game. We keep losing games. This is not good. The conversation the day before, though, was good. We talked a lot about the short-term needs and really focused in on two things. Impact bat in the outfield and a pretty good starting pitcher who could be toward the top of the rotation. We could take those two things and apply them to the next day of the Natty meeting. But the field product, it's not looking good. We keep losing. When will this end? End. Good morning. Hey. Jerry <laughs> Hairston Jr. Jerry Hairston Jr., are you kidding me? Three for three with two home runs and a walk. That's the Jerry Hairston Jr. I know. Yeah, and I, I think I heard Scott Harris, uh, Scott Harris, I think I heard Scott Fransky say during the broadcast, uh, why the fuck is Jerry Hairston? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Scott Fransky. Yeah, definitely. Helixson went six and a third, gave up three earned runs, five strikeouts, two walks, uh, seven hits. He pitched fine. Uh, the walks are actually down, which is good. Uh, Romero pitched a scoreless, well, two-thirds of an inning, and then Jeff Soup uh, gave up two runs in the in this final two frames, and the Reds scored two runs in those frames. So uh, five-nothing. Um, we were five-hit by Volquez and, and Russ Ortiz. And uh, the offense just continues to really struggle. Abanez is 204 right now. Um, the only players who have uh, averages above, you know, 255 right now are Rollins, Utley, and Ruiz. And that's it. 
Yeah, that's really, really that's, abysmal. I mean, 255 is a low bar. Yeah, I mean, average isn't everything, no. but, you know, I mean, you, you, you're taking a look at average. You know, you have to have a decent enough average. Um, on base percentage, uh, let's see. You know, guys are actually getting on base at a better clip, uh, 300 and above for most of the roster, but three of the guys who are under 300 are starters, so that's not good. And then the slugging percentages are bad. I mean, you know, the only guys over 400 are Stairs, Rollins, Worth, Utley, and Howard. Everybody else is flailing in the threes. Um, ISOs are mediocre. Uh, you know, it just it's it's not a fun existence right now for the offense. Um, okay, so day three of the Natty meeting. And now we're going to look at what we're hoping to target here with uh, some some of these uh, holes that we're trying to fill. So starting pitcher, um, did you did you have a sense of what you're looking for for you know you had said 50 for at least the guy who is going to give you some innings. So obviously a pitcher who's better than that, uh, you know maybe a, a 65. You're thinking about or what are you thinking about for overall here? Yeah, for that first guy, I would say a 60 65 range. Um, there are enough of those guys that I don't think that it would be too impossible to acquire one. And mm-hmm. um, anything anything higher than that would definitely be too pricey for us right now, uh, considering we're trying not to give up too many assets, uh, if at all possible. But yeah, I think 60-65 would be good. A guy who, um, you know, we're trying to flip the script here, really. So I'd say a guy who doesn't walk guys very often and preferably tends to go deep into games. Okay, so control is obviously going to be paramount. I'm going to make that 60, um, and we'll see what we get out of that. That's going to definitely reduce the list a little bit. Um, and deep into games, um, you know, we can, we, can, we, can, we can do something with innings pitched, uh, you know, have an innings pitch slider, and, and see if, um, you know, we, we, we just look up guys who are, uh, who are uh, going, you know, have a lot of innings, I guess is, is that one way of doing it. I think so. Um, so, would you rather start with both constraints, or just start with uh, with the control, and then and then narrow it down uh, if we if a lot of guys come up? Um, well, we could st- we could start out with the two constraints. I'm just looking right now at how many innings guys are getting this year, um, and then with our pitching staff. So, Brett Myers is kind of the the low bar here, and he's pitched most of the season. He has. Let's see if I can find. How many innings he's pitched this year? It is 99 innings this season, um, and so the pitchers at the league lead are over 130. So you know, if we're looking for a guy who has maybe 115 innings or more, I think that might be where to go. Cole Hamels is 125 innings, so um, but that's something to look at for later. We'll we'll start with the first two things and see what we get. Um, and a lot of these names we've talked about before. I don't think, I don't think we have to go through them again. Um, do we want to go with the inning slider now? I guess let's try that and just see. Yeah, what we could try that. We could also mess around if there are certain financial sliders or years remaining on their contract type things uh, that we could consider also. Okay, the minimum of 100 innings is available, and that's one slider that I didn't really do much. Um, so... Here's the list, just really quick. I'm going to fire these names out. Dan Heron, Derek Lowe, Javier Vasquez, Josh Beckett, Mark Burley, Cliff Lee, Jason Hamill, Ricky Nolasco, Roy Oswalt, Zach Granke, Irvin Santana, Jared Weaver, Hiroki Kuroda, Scott Baker, Johan Santana, Andy Pettit, CeCe Sabathia, Chris Carpenter, Joel Pinheiro, Adam Wainwright, James Shields. Okay, so you just heard a whole bunch of names. I'm going to tell you right now that we also talked about an entirely different group of names and then another group of names completely different. I mean, there's so many names that we talked about. It's not even worth putting on the podcast because it's just – it's it's minutia, okay? No need to talk about names that we're not going to talk about later on in the podcast. We did get a trade offer, however, from the Minnesota Twins who were offering us Scott Baker, a name that we were talking about, a decent pitcher, for – a bunch of prospects. The trade proposal itself was Jonathan VR, Carlos Carrasco, Vance Worley, and Kyle Kendrick. Besides Kendrick, we're looking at three prospects here. 
those are a lot of names, and we had reservations. Yeah, and I'm I'm comfortable dealing from our prospects, but if we do it all at once, then we are taking on a lot of risk in this one player. So, because these, we only we really only have like three to five prospects who anybody would actually want, you know. So for if we're banking on them to make our upgrades, then then we want to be careful not to use them all at once. Okay, so why don't we um, why don't we go the reverse before we finish the day here, and let's talk about getting depth in the minors, pitching depth, just better hitting somewhere you know in Double A or Triple A, um, and and players who have potential. So prospects, obviously. Um, we can identify a player or two that I think we can move and maybe get something for. And when I look at this roster, you know, we've talked about Ryan Howard, and maybe there's something there we can do. Um, but if I look at this roster, you know, Brett Myers has a big contract, and, and it's going to be hard to get anything for him, but he has a big contract, so maybe, maybe a team needs pitching and, and we'll take him on. Um, Ryan Madsen, who has said he wants out of here, you know, I know you said that you don't want to move him, but he wants out of here and he's got a 75 potential and a 55 overall. We don't need a closer at this moment. Maybe it's something to think about. Um, and there are pitchers that we did pick up that have some value. And while they're prospects, maybe we can get more prospects for them. So, uh, you know, those are the options really. I don't know if we have many other options right now as far as getting prospect value. Yeah. I mean, the other guys that we talked about moving before, you know, guys who, and we shouldn't forget this either. There are guys who we should move, um, otherwise we won't get anything for them, like like stairs, et cetera. Right. But I, I don't think that Matt Stairs and who else was it? Rodrigo Lopez. You know, guys. Like, I don't think that we're going to completely rebuild our team that way. We might be able to get a decent reliever or two though through them. But you're right. I don't think we're going to get a high end starter or anything. Yeah, Channel Park has a year left in a 2.5 million dollar contract, so he might actually be movable here. Um, he's pitched well enough, and his overall potential are both 60. And Matt Sears, you said, Greg Dobbs is ARB eligible next year, so you don't have to move him. Uh, and Johnny Gomes, of course, has a year left on his contract here, so he would be movable too. And Lopez is, is a year left. So um, we could certainly go like a Chan Hill Park route right now and just see you know, if there's a bite on him. We could give that a shot. Yeah, I mean, we should start shopping some of these guys around so that we have time to be flexible and everything. Yeah, and that might be the better approach is just to accumulate prospects so that when we do want to make a big move and get a pitcher, we can we have the wealth to do that and not feel bad about where we've ended up. Well, we might still feel bad about where we ended up. But, but you know what I right. mean. No, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. So I'm getting a lot of Texas. Texas? Texas? Te- You're going to Texas? Texas. Text messages back about uh, Mr. Channel Park. Okay. In fact, my phone, I need to put it aside for a second here. Do you see it vibrating? It's almost up. No. No. I, I, well, I don't think you're that popular. I think some of this is in your head. Ooh, someone just said that Burt Reynolds is available. Yeah. Hey, he'll make our team fun and, and enjoyable <laughs> very quickly. Yeah, I predict that it'll be mostly middle-tier relievers. We got a lot of middle-tier infielders. Oh, okay. All guys who have 20 potential in minor league contracts. <laughs> you know, the kind of guy you build your team around. Yeesh. The one guy who is not a 20 is Brian Tallett of the Blue Jays, who's a 25. Oh, well. Future future all-star right there. But he's the only guy the Blue Jays are offering, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm... I don't know if there's even a team here to go off of that, like is interested, you know? It's more of like, okay, here's a bunch of crap people are throwing at us. <laughs> so Yeah, it's all pretty much like, well, yeah, I guess I could use a reliever, you know, whatever. And then they're like, uh, you know, I'll give you this thing, 
if you'll give me that reliever, but they're not really super interested. So why don't we shop Ryan Madsen then? Sure. July 9th, 2009. The Phillies are 29-55. and 55. First off, we did not find anything with Ryan Madsen in a trade situation. The players that were offered back to us were basically guys like Madsen, who had higher ERAs out of the bullpen and were worth too much money. Not worth it. We should just keep our own guy. Second off, we won a game. Hooray. Good morning. The uh, offense woke up, finally. Oh, good. And luckily, the pitching did not fall asleep. So we won. Yeah, we, so no, normally, you'll say something like that, and you're just trying to trick me. You'll say, oh, <laughs> the pitching was great last night. And I'll be like, oh, good. Did we win? You'll be like, no, we didn't. We scored seven runs in the last, uh, well, in two of the last three innings to win nine to four. Um, so that was a good win. Hamels went six and two-thirds, four runs, three walks, three strikeouts. Still kind of weird. Uh, Eric Hurley pitched well in an inning relief, gave up um, one hit, but struck out three. So that's good. Um, Utley and Howard had big nights. Ruiz had a big night. And that's it. <laughs> Just saying, guys. <laughs> so A win is a win, though, right? So. so why don't we get back on task here with the meeting here and try to finish this day of the meeting off and finish the meeting off with, you know, recognizing who we're, we want to target here, okay? So let's go to outfield. Let's let's figure out what we want out of, out of outfielders, and let's put some names down here. Um, so the one thing that I think is necessary for us is we don't have someone who strikes out. That's for sure. And I don't think we need power because that's something that, as we've seen, isn't necessarily valued highly among the good teams. And – Power for us is the one thing we have, and it's not working out for us because they strike out. So I'm looking for a guy who gets on base through base hits and uh, doesn't strike out and um, can be, you know, a consistent force, you know, that we can plug in the lineup and help out the big core. Yeah, a um, a complimentary piece, I'd say. This is another group of a lot of names uh, that we came up with uh, by doing a search. We filtered the bunch of different things looking for age looking for salary looking for you know rating overall potential all that stuff we're not going to go through the names here because not necessarily worth it at the moment but just to let you know we are looking for a high impact outfield bat that is that splat right now this is just research that we're doing here so uh we have some names some guys that we can we, we can keep looking at some things that we can keep in mind, you know, um, we, as far as acquiring players, we're exactly where I thought we would be after today. Uh, what, what's been a shame to me, what's been disappointing to me is that we don't seem to have made any progress about moving the contracts that we do have that we wanted to move. You know, the guys who are on the last year, their dealer, the guys who wanted to get out and we wanted to turn them into something. So that's, you know, as far as acquiring new guys, uh, buying guys, I would say we're, we're fine. I'm comfortable with where we are. It's, uh, uh, it's, moving the contract that we do have that I wish that we had taken another step forward in, you know, with the trade deadline coming up. Well, so do we, is that something we want to do? You know, I mean, we look at Jeff soup as the big contract here that I think we have to move in some way. Um, and that could just free us up a little bit. Do we want to talk about just getting rid of that contract or is there anything that we can salvage? We've we've talked about that a little bit, but he hasn't really shown that he is worth salvaging at this point. He's disruptive. He's a 25 overall in potential. He doesn't really have anything going for him. Um, he's having a terrible year. You know, everything just saying that this guy's not it anymore. Yeah, it would be nice to clear that that money out of our out of our um, off the books. There, um, it would be nice if we could. Uh, trade him for someone cheaper, but I don't think that's going to happen. No, I it, we I nobody wants him. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that includes us. So so I don't really know what our options are other than releasing him. You know, and then that doesn't help us with the money aspect. Yeah, um, but. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if we have much of a choice at this point, which which stinks. But um, 
I'll look around a little bit. We'll, 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 I'll do some late night Jeff soup fishing. Um, <laughs> but we'll see. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't plan. We're going to, I don't believe we're going to get anything, but we'll see. Um, all right. So why don't we, why don't we end this day and, and join in as we play the Reds and Eric Stoltz makes his second start as a Philly against Aaron Harang. All right. Kick back. Playing the Rube is a Phillies Nation production. Thanks to Brian Michael, the executive producer and the founder of philliesnation.com. Thanks to Dan Walsh, the guy who does the podcast with me, for sticking through this and trying to have a winning team. Find Playing the Rube as part of the Phillies Nation podcast. Go subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give it a five-star review. Say something nice. And you will find Playing the Rube come out, you know, whenever it comes out as part of the Phillies Nation podcast. We will be back next time with more 2009 Phillies fun. Yes, it will get better. I keep saying that every time, but I swear it will get better and it'll get even more exciting. Just listen. Wait, listen. Be patient. Be patient. Until next time, I'm Tim Malcolm. See you later. (laughs) 